Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Dear Writer. This is episode 43, and it's another one of our Talking Shop episodes where we have a bit of a chat about some of the books we're reading for fun and also some of the resources we've used to help better our writing. So what's your tool of the month this month, Sarah? My tool of the month is a book that we've sort of just talked about in passing. And I know one of our authors on the Author Spotlight episodes have mentioned this book as well. It's called The Emotion Thesaurus, and it's written by Angela Ackerman and Becca Puglisi. I discovered this book from another podcast, so sort of shout out to the creative pen, I guess, if anyone listens to that podcast. It's a very good podcast. And I thought that it was an amazing idea for a book because basically what it is, is like a way to, if you have like commonly used phrases that you tend to use, then you can look through like emotions and find out different ways to portray how your character is feeling rather than using the same ones over and over and over again. Sounds very useful. (laughs) Yeah, I was saying to Ashley before this episode started that one of the things that I do often is particularly with anxiety because in a lot of books a lot of our books our characters are quite anxious most of the time (laughs) (laughs) large proportion of the time yes (laughs) and so I you know run into issues of how to describe it in different ways and I feel like I've mainly been focused on the internal sensation of, you know, that gut churning, nerves fluttering in your stomach, or like things that just reference the stomach mainly. (laughs) And so I've used it for that to try and find like different ways to talk about it, sort of anxiety in general, but also like it's got so many different emotions in it that you can do the same thing for. And I would highly recommend this book, especially as a great reference for sitting on your desk. And so it seems like one that you can just flick to and use all the time. Yeah, and I intend to use it like that in the future. I've kind of used it a few times while writing, not a whole heap yet, but I'm still just kind of learning my way around the book. So if we use the anxiety as an example, since we were kind of on that, on that, it groups things into different types of ways that people show emotion so like your physical sort of physical options of showing emotion mental what people are thinking mentally when they're experiencing the emotion um, acute and long-term ways that emotion might sort of manifest and internal sensations which I was just talking about which (laughs) I use way too much (laughs) so To pick just a few as like an example of the types of things that it lists. So under the physical options, it listed for anxiety, rubbing the back of the neck, crossing the arms or forming a barrier to others, wringing one's hands or rubbing at the skin in a self-soothing way, twisting a watch or ring, hands repeatedly rising to touch one's face. So those were just a very Mm. few examples 
out of that. And then a couple of examples and in internal sensations. So rather than stomach churning, although it does list that as well, but there was also options of feeling too hot or too cold, restless legs or dizziness. Mm, restless legs is a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mentally, you know, your character will be thinking about worst case scenarios. So like over going over like the worst case scenarios in their mind constantly and immediately jumping to those thoughts rather than thinking more positively and engaging in self-blame and irrational worries um, were some of those ones. When the rainfall characters go through a lot of those. Yes, they do. <laughs> Dylan with self-blame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But then acute and long-term sort of examples of how anxiety might manifest as well. So excessive sweating, heart palpitations, hyperventilating, panic attacks, a ragged appearance. <laughs> They're pretty ragged already. <laughs> yeah. But so you can see already like how helpful yeah. that would be. And that's just a few examples. It sounds incredibly helpful. Because so, I'm like you, I've got an annoying set of like five or six that I tend to use a lot yeah. but you like what and then you don't know how to get around it so you just try and like write around it <laughs> like yeah well you, you just useful. use like one slightly different word but it'll yeah. still be the same thing going yeah. over again and then you know when you go to the edits you realize how much you're like oh I do this a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> or your editor points out how much you do it <laughs> yes he commented <laughs> <laughs> I feel like as co-authors though as well is that we sometimes pick up each other's flaws as much as we pick up each other's strengths and improve we also pick up each other's flaws sometimes our editor comp <laughs> our editor <laughs> <laughs> mentioned how we use the word commented way too much and I feel like Ashley or me would have initially started using it as a bit of a habit. And then the other person is like, commented, that sounds like a nice word. Maybe I'll use that more. And then before you know it, you have like an entire Everywhere. book of he commented, she commented. But it's also the same with emotions. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've discussed this before, how sometimes one thing will really stick and you just get kind of gravitate towards this one action. So this book kind of helps prevent that. It also, in addition to giving like these alternatives, it also tells you like what emotions it could escalate to or what emotions it could de-escalate to. That sounds useful. So I can't remember what it said in terms of anxiety. I think it goes to like fear is escalating or something. But I was about to say, I know that my descriptions of people being afraid is one of the ones that that book would be useful for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And it lists helpful power verbs associated with that emotion. So, you know, if you're struggling for a verb to use, then it'll give you like a, a bunch of options mm. that you could use. The other thing that it also does is that at the beginning of the book, not only does it discuss how to use the book but it also gives like handy hints on basically matching your characters to the 
to the options that they give because not every option that they give is going to be right for your character mm-hmm. and so they try to explain you know like how you might have like use a book with different characters and keeping that in mind so that your book is still just as strong and it doesn't look like you've just plopped like a, an expression in just for the yeah. heck of it and a particularly useful section discussed ways of showing hidden emotion as well which was mm. quite interesting so one of the explanations for example focused on passive aggressive reactions which I feel like I've become quite good at writing thanks to Lizzie but it was quite <laughs> interesting to read what they said about it yeah so they said passive aggression is a covert way of expressing anger if a character is angry but doesn't feel comfortable showing it they'll often default to certain techniques that will allow them to get back at the person without revealing how they really feel by employing sarcasm framing insults as jokes giving backhanded compliments and not saying what they really mean characters are able to express their feelings in an underhanded way that others might not recognize or know how to deal with that describes I can think of quite a few scenes in a book that that describes yes (laughs) I was like that was just so Lizzie very passive aggressive yeah yeah she gets better but I feel like she she begins to like learn. She does. That it's not necessarily the best way of dealing with things, but she does. She has some growth in that area for sure. <laughs> it's quite amusing though. And you know, it it was really hard as usual, like pulling a piece out because it's so interwoven with so many other pieces. So I was like, Yeah. Didn't want to read you the entire like front section of the book. But yeah. It has a lot in there that's super helpful. Even just obviously the thesaurus alone. And Angela Ackerman and Becca Puglisi also do uh, one, like a book on character traits. And I think another book, which I can't remember off the top of my head. But. That thesaurus sounds very useful. It does. And I've been needing to get this book for ages. So I was so excited when I finally... (laughs) the bullet and decided to buy it (laughs) and it came and I was like yes now I have my own copy it's going to be useful for Simon (laughs) (laughs) I think it'll be really useful for editing (laughs) Mm -hmm. once you find those sentences that you reuse often yes and trying to find something else when I'm like hmm this isn't very descriptive I'm sure I can find a better way of saying that I feel like those situations it'll be really useful so again it's called the emotion thesaurus and a writer's guide to character expression by angela ackerman and becca puglisi i would highly recommend that sounds very good what was your tool of the month this month ashley so it's kind of carrying on the trend from last time because i if last time i talked about some of the structure of ya dystopic fiction novels and particularly the introductions I kind of went down a rabbit hole after that (laughs) you know when you find something quite interesting and then you can't help but continue down that path so I went down a YA (laughs) dystopian fiction rabbit hole and actually found a really really interesting book which is called Beyond the Blockbusters Themes and Trends in Young Adult Fiction interesting yes I think it's it's either 2020 or 2021 like it's really new and I had access to it through the 
Heathrow University website to the ebook. So I was like browsing through and I found this really interesting chapter, which was entitled Exploring the Genre Conventions of the YA Dystopian Trilogy as 21st Century Utopian Dreaming. Academic ones always have such elaborate titles. <laughs> Pretty much just an investigation about the tropes that are in specifically dystopic trilogies and all of the like common things that they have going through it which I thought was quite interesting one because we've classified our books our when the rain falls and it's a black sky series there we go as a <laughs> dystopic series it's a fairly new name so I sometimes forget about it I'm so used to like just calling them by the titles I like the series name yeah me too black skies anyways continue sorry so I found that quite interesting and especially because we've written three but it's going to be longer so I was kind of interested in whether our series will kind of follow similar conventions even though it's not a three book format so mm-hmm. that you know made me quite interested so I thought I'd go over this chapter with you all because it's fairly interesting I think a lot of you write in the YA genre or hopefully you'll just find it interesting I'll just quickly mention this book is by Rebecca Fitzsimmons and Casey Allen Wilson and again it's called Beyond the Blockbusters themes and trends in young adult fiction anyways in this chapter it's by one of the authors Fitzsimmons she argues that the YA dystopian trilogy is a They say a new form of 21st century utopian writing, and they're actually classifying it as a genre on its own. It's like this multi-book story formula, they call it. (laughs) (laughs) And she's kind of like, it's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies because one gets popular and then another one comes along and is also popular. So more and more and more of these trilogies start being published in the genre, reinforcing that it's a new genre. (laughs) I feel like though that's also the way that fiction is going in general because people like to connect with characters over a longer period of time so series is becoming a lot more of a bigger deal so maybe it's also that though as well. Yeah like a combination of Mm. the two. Like I definitely prefer to read like I always check if a book is part of a series because I'm like "Mm, if I like it there might be more. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, she adds on that she thinks she had like a little bit of a just discussion about YA in general in her introduction as well, saying that YA is heavily invested in teaching children and teenagers about social forces and institutions, which is why that it like YA dystopic trilogies end up fitting really well in the young adult genre in general. And the social forces and institutions are things like churches, government, school. And most YA books try to reinforce some sort of abstract social construction within these institutions, like race or gender, sexuality. The list is fairly endless. Mm -hmm. And she has a good quote here. She says, in these novels, teens are expected, even encouraged, to rebel against these limits. Uh, failing at inappropriate or childish forms of rebellion before locating the institutionally tolerated form of rebellion. And rebellion um, seems to be generally required in YA literature because it teaches the protagonist and therefore the reader to find the limit of the um, quote-unquote institution that they are a part of. I quite liked that. Mm -hmm. Seems It was quite a good description of YA literature, generally speaking. The chapter then goes into a brief history about YA dystopias, 
So they had a couple really early examples that kind of sparked some interest in the genre, uh, particularly for YA. So they had Ender's Game, which was came out in 1985, and then The Giver, which came out in 1993. And then they've got some of the juggernaut 21st century ones. Um, right. And they actually link that to the publication of Feed in 2002, which like won a whole bunch of prizes. And they, like she pinpoints that book as like the beginning of what we now have as many, many trilogies like Hunger Games, Divergent. And she focuses on Chaos Walking, the trilogy by Patrick Ness. Um, I've never really heard of that one. It's the one where everyone, I think it's like everyone's thoughts are heard and it's like a um, only met boys. <laughs> interesting and all of their thoughts are like everyone can hear each other's thoughts might have to look some of these up (laughs) yeah so she actually bases this chapter she read 12 trilogies that fit this genre and I was like that's a lot (laughs) wow (laughs) but she tends to mostly talk about chaos walking a little bit about hunger games um, but she's she basically says they all follow this format to like some degree and she actually breaks down the three book format into three phases. And it's not like each phase doesn't correspond to a book. It could happen anywhere mm-hmm. within the series, but it does go in this order. It just might not be books. Right. So she identified these three phases that all of these 12 series had in common. So phase one is establishing the rules of the dystopic system and putting the protagonist in direct conflict with it through some sort of coming of age moment. And it's kind of what the whole trilogy is based around this, like she calls it a strange newness, which highlights how the world is different to our own world. And all of the books paint adults as passive participants at the beginning as well. (laughs) I was like, fair. (laughs) Accurate. Did we do that? Yes. Probably. We did. (laughs) We definitely did. At least at the start. So, and in this first phase, as well as our protagonists coming into direct conflict with whatever these rules of society are, they also discover some new knowledge, which pits them against the system. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, hmm, this does happen in ours too. Yeah. So from there, it then moves on to phase two, which expands the dystopic world beyond just the protagonist's home, <laughs> uh, which we also do. It's just, it's really, just as an aside, like it's really strange when you see yeah. your genre broken down like this, especially after you've written it. And then you're like, oh my God, we do all of this. Like just totally like unknowingly we didn't even have this genre in mind either which is what makes it ridiculous that's why I was like down the rabbit hole because you're like what (laughs) it's crazy anyways continue sorry yeah so anyways expands uh phase two is when the dystopic world expands beyond their home and they realize that their problems are only a really small subsection of the problems that are existing in this larger world and pretty much establishes stakes that are outside the protagonist's inner circle. So outside their friends and family, they suddenly realize like there's bigger stakes than them that involve the greater world, basically. And it ends up mm-hmm. changing the motivations of, your, of the protagonists. So they originally are all just hell-bent on saving their friends or their family people that are close to them and then this becomes something a lot larger than their this individual or you know inner circle survival Mm -hmm. once they realize that it's a bigger picture thing and then this made me laugh the phase three 
So in phase three, their alliances are forced to shift because new forces appear, which realign the balance of power. It's just ridiculous. Obviously, you guys haven't read our series, but it's hilarious because we didn't mean to write our books this way. So anyways, new forces appear or reappear, which she says, and they realign the balance of power. And in this last part, there's some sort of large scale battle between our protagonists and their allies against the forces that are controlling them. Mostly it ends with a complete and violent overthrow of the power system and violent deaths of the leaders. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting how somehow we weirdly managed to write, not exactly, but to most of, well, all of these elements are there, Yes, um, which was really, it was really weird reading this. I was like, what? (laughs) But she then goes on to she has some draws some conclusions from her findings. I thought I'd just read out her like direct quotes. It's just easier. So her first conclusion is that quote why uh, the YA dystopian trilogy captures the idea of process. The dystopia develops out of a crisis, devolves into a latent dystopian state, and then is overthrown and reemerges as a utopia in progress, which I quite like. Yeah. Yep, I thought so. Very fair. And then her second conclusion is, quote, that these novels are specifically relevant to a contemporary YA audience as traditional rites of passage become increasingly disrupted by economic realities and shifting social norms. Teens who live in an age of fake news can readily identify with dystopias set in a future where the internet slash noise rules the lives of young people. Young people concerned with climate change recognize its reflection in dystopian narratives based in worlds ravaged by these forces. I quite liked that, like kind of putting it into with issues that currently young people are facing as well. So you can kind yeah. of, I was like, this makes sense why they're popular. Definitely. This third conclusion is what I found quite interesting. So the third conclusion is that the repetition of these themes compounds for the past decade trilogies like the hunger games divergent and chaos walking have dominated the bestseller lists millions of children young adults and adults have read these books and watched the film adaptations once a teen has read or even looked at these trilogies online helpful algorithms embedded in popular book buying sites like amazon.com will recommend similar titles as popular best-selling texts that match young adults preferences so it's like one of those interesting like it compounds itself yeah it is as a popular genre which is quite I found quite interesting it's interesting that for such a new genre well it's Mm -hmm. it's not a new genre but like it's it's fairly developing and it's hard to define yeah interesting that it's so popular yet you know it's still being developed really yeah still coming to its own (laughs) Mm mm-hmm because it's, it's so interesting. They can like trace its roots to basically from like when we were teenagers, which wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Which is a bit odd. I think it's also as like the social values kind of like become more like under the hot light of, of society that we live in. You know, you see it reflected in these teen young adult hmm. novels as well, because you think about it like racism and sexism were like not as huge of like well there were issues but they weren't targeted as hugely as they are today and I feel like you see that reflected in some of the literature and definitely in dystopic worlds Mm -hmm. so it's an interesting genre and I'm glad that we're a part of it we've accidentally fallen into it (laughs) yes 
It's a fun genre to write, though. <laughs> it is. It is. So we should probably move on to what we're reading for fun this month. What's your book from this month, Sarah? So this month, I read a book called That Weekend by Cara Thomas, which is another young adult psychological thriller. <laughs> on brand for you. <laughs> I know I've been reading a lot of a lot of these, yeah. This one really interested me though because it had a similar premise as my own young adult psych thriller. Okay. And so I wanted to see kind of just how close it was because I was like read the blurb and I was like, "Hmm, is it too close?" Have they stolen my idea before I've been able to publish it? Not stolen because you can't really steal an idea. But at the same time, you know, like, it's not that I'm really worried about someone doing the same thing, but it was that, you know, I've already written it and it's like, oh no, (laughs) but I have it. I have it done. I just haven't, you know, anyways, because it's a very new book. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I was like, no, it's just beating me to it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I'll read you the blurb. Um, Okay. So the blurb reads, three best friends, a lake house, a secret trip. What could possibly go wrong? It was supposed to be the perfect prom weekend getaway, but it's clear something terrible has happened when Claire wakes up alone and bloodied on a hiking trail with no memory of the past 48 hours. Oh. Now everyone wants answers. Most of all, Claire. She remembers Friday night, but after that, nothing. And now Kat and Jessie, her best friends, are missing. What happened on the mountain? And where are Kat and Jessie? Claire knows the answers are buried somewhere in her memory. But as she's learning, everyone has secrets, even her best friends. And she's pretty sure she's not going to like what she remembers. Mm. So that was the blurb. I can see why you were worried. (laughs) It's too (laughs) similar to your own. I mean, mine is titled, You Know I Don't Remember. So you can kind of get from my title that it's a similar like memory loss thing going on. But it was like it, it had sil- similar elements, but it was quite different in the way that it was very different setting. It also had two viewpoints, although the second viewpoint doesn't come into it until sort of much later in the book. Mm-hmm. And it is set over a much longer time frame as well. And the characters had very different motives. So that all made me feel a bit better. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> might the still have a good chance of doing well. I haven't like, I'm not like regurgitating something that's already written. Mm-hmm. So that made me quite happy, <laughs> but it was a very good book. It was very well written. And despite having a similar book, I should have guessed the twist, but naively <laughs> I did not. <laughs> and I was like, oh, come on, Sarah. <laughs> like you should have seen this coming. But I was like drawn totally in, just yeah. went along with the story. And then I was like, oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> Did not see that one coming. So she got me. <laughs> That's good. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it because, yeah, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> and <laughs> I would highly recommend it. So again, it's called That Weekend by Cara Thomas. And yeah, she's written several other psychic thrillers as well. Um, I think I read this one about cheerleaders or something. And I feel like I read that one today. I've read a lot of books recently. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this was the, the one of the moment, which I finished just a couple of days ago. So That sounds good. Yeah. How about you? I haven't had time to, well, okay. This month I've actually been reading our books. So it's a bit weird if I review our own novels. <laughs> 
and I've been beta reading a lot in my spare time as well. So I haven't had time to read anything new, but I did think I'd review one of my absolute favorite books ever uh, instead, which is Song of the Hills by Margaret Evans. I've read a passage of this book before, but I, I just absolutely love it. So I thought I would review it for you. Uh, the tagline on the front is a haunting story of love and war and I'll just read the blurb first and then we'll go from there so Hannah Highwell has a special gift a psychic gift that has been passed down her family through generations she lives in a small town on the Welsh coast where her beloved dada Thomas is a foundryman at the steelworks along with her cousin Harry and most of the other menfolk in Tybat but the onset of war brings terrible changes to the Highwell family and tight-knit community of Tybat. A generation of Welshmen will never return to their homeland as the world as Hannah knows it will never be the same again. Song of the Hills is a magical and lyrical portrait of a small town spanning two world wars. It's one of those stories that like tells pretty much someone's entire life story. It actually has a sequel as well, which is really good. But it's one of those books that's really gripping and depressing because obviously <laughs> it follows two wars and it's got I call it a tasteful amount of psychicness in it I see so it's not about her being psychic she just happens to be psychic and she can't control it so there'll be moments where she's like there's one scene where she's walking along the seaside and she can see the ghosts of dead soldiers from a shipwreck from one of the bygone wars, like wandering lost along the beach, stuff like that. So it's kind of, which is why I like it so much. It's kind of cool though. Yeah. She has these moments of like psychic moments, especially like, obviously like all of her family goes off to war. So they bring that in occasionally, but it's never like full on like premonitions and like that kind of thing. It'll like right, come yeah. to her and she'll not be not sure how to deal with it. And her family's kind of kept the psychicness sort of a secret so she doesn't advertise it at all so it's kind of yeah. more just like her struggling through two wars in a really really poor town in a family like with barely any means and she happens to be psychic sometimes <laughs> and it's just it's a really great great story I got my mother-in-law to read it and then it turned out that that town is like the town beside the town that her family came from oh, that's and cool like her father was also a foundryman in like the steelwork. So she found it like very emotional and she oh, enjoyed it a lot as well. That's really cool. And the second one, there's a sequel called Inheritors and that follows on from, uh, so this first book follows up until the end of the second world war when she's like 30 years old, I'm guessing approximately. And then the second book follows from then till her death and her kind of what goes on. It's all very interesting. So I'd highly recommend if you're into those kinds of stories. Might have to read it in between my young adult psych thrillers that I keep <laughs> being drawn to. I have a very like type of book at the moment, but they're like light and interesting <laughs> and eat fast reads. I go through phases of types of books as well. They're very fast reads. I feel like the young adult psych thrillers, you can get through them in like two days and you're like, done. <laughs> next one <laughs> anyways we should probably round this up yep so there are still some spots left on our author spotlight section so if you would like to apply then go to lindersoncreations.com and hover your mouse over the podcast 
menu and you'll see a drop down which will take you to the Be Featured on Dear Writer page where you can fill out a form. And next time on Dear Writer, it's our main podcast where we're going to talk about our book, When the Rain Falls, which is coming out very shortly. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. <laughs> I cannot wait. Just a very exciting, very exciting moment. I know I'm saying the word exciting a lot, but a long time coming and we can't wait to share it with you. It is a very long time coming. Yes. Uh, so if you'd like to know any more about our writing projects, you can visit us at lindersoncreations.com where we have our new homepage, which has a blurb about the blurb, which you won't have seen yet, but does have a little bit of information about what the book's about. Well, actually, we should probably also say that our short story came out recently. And if you would like to get a preview of the blurb, not everyone may realize, but you can sign up to Linderson Creations and get the short story, which if you scroll down to the bottom also has like the blurb and the promo for the, the actual series but it's a very good read. I would highly recommend signing up to Linderson Creations <laughs> for that alone. Even if you unsubscribe from us, at least you get to read the story. Which um, we're, we're calling it an optional prologue in case you are wondering yes. um, the point of it. <laughs> it is an optional prologue to when the rain falls. So it can give you a little bit of extra insight. So anyways, do that. Sign up, get a copy of our free short story and uh, early look at the blurb. Which is exciting. What am I up to now? Yes, if you <laughs> took it off track, Sarah, now I'm confused. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, tell your friends about us and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Bye.